Hey, and welcome to a new episode of Athletics for Life podcast with your hosts, T.D. Johnson and myself, Jeff Copes. Hey, this is a show where we uh, explore education-based athletics and the philosophies that that entails. Uh, basically, it's just learning lessons through sports. Our guests include former athletes, uh, interesting people in the world of sports, and other coaches and administrators in how to build uh, successful and uh, meaningful programs. So, uh, Jeff, do you mind starting our introduction for today's guest? Yes, I will do that. So today we have a very special guest on our show. We have Jared Mizell. Uh, Jared is a certified athletic trainer and consultant. He had his own company, Good Practice, which is a sports medicine and athletic program support services. Yeah, he's also worked at the Concordia International School in Shanghai, uh, St. John's Belgium Waterloo International School, and he's currently the athletic trainer and sports teacher at the International School of Brussels. Yeah, and we met Jared last year at the Globetrotten AD uh, Summer con Conference, where I followed uh, his uh, his webinar, which was very interesting. And ever since that time, uh, we've been waiting for to have Jared on our podcast. Um, so we're very honored that he, he he's here today for the Athletics for Life podcast. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to asking him about the benefits of uh, you know multi-sport participation and how it relates to. Uh, injuries and training and also like training tips for our athletes, practice structure tips for, for us and for our coaches. Uh, so that way we can uh, get back on track whenever we're able to play team sports again after this COVID shutdown. Okay. So we're going over to Jared. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much for the, uh, the invitation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, the last time we saw was at the Globetrotten A uh, AD's conference. No, not not the AD one, but the, but the summer. Was it the summer or or the spring one? Yes, yeah, it, it was the summer. The, the yeah. summer, right? And I was like, we've got to get Jared on our podcast one day. And uh, you know, it's, actually, it's a really good time for us, actually, because uh, you know, COVID hit hard here in Mongolia. The kids haven't had any sports for a long time, so we really want to learn uh, when we get back with our kids uh, how we can start safely and. You're the expert here, so we were very honored that, that you're here today, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, and, and congratulations on your uh, on your work here, your initiatives on this project. Uh, you guys are, I, I watched uh, some of your episodes already. You guys are really stepping your game up. Uh, it's, it's really nice to see uh, your work. Yeah, it's been a, been a work in progress, you know, for anyone who hasn't, some of the first episodes, the sound quality and the video quality and just the overall... Uh, the comfortableness with with doing a podcast uh, has definitely oh, improved yeah. as we've as we've continued. So it's it's a craft. It's a craft. It is. But we definitely. we are very fortunate that we have an excellent editor in chief, Scott Lillis. He does all our editing and he makes it looks he makes it look good. It's not us. So <laughs> <laughs> gotta have the support staff. Oh, you have to, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, if you don't mind uh, to get started, uh, can you just give us a little background information about kind of uh, who you are, what you do, where you're at in the world? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I'm Jared Maisel. Uh, I'm an athletic trainer, a certified athletic trainer. And I was actually a little upset. Usually on these sorts of shows, I'm the first athletic trainer on the show. But I saw that you guys already had one. You had uh, Brett from uh, Strong, um, Strong. Strong First. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, uh, great for, great for you, you guys, um, uh, <laughs> uh, to have, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little, uh, me being competitive. I'm a little upset that I'm the second. <laughs> well, now you, you know where the bar is at. So now you, you can prepare and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as a certified athletic trainer, <clears throat> that is a, uh, it's a specialized profession, um, in sport related injury. Um, and there's different routes to go off of, 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 of that baseline of athletic training. Like, like Brett went into the strength and conditioning and performance side. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still on the, mainly the injury side on, um, you know, rehabilitation, evaluation, assessment of, uh, injuries, but then also kind of the administration and preparation side of making sure sports programs are doing the things um, that they need to do to be prepared in the event of an emergency or a concussion arises. Um, so, um, uh, so I worked in a variety of different settings. I worked in uh, American college sports, professional, 
um, at multiple different levels. And then I, I first moved, and now in the international school setting, I, immersed, I, I first moved abroad in um, about six years ago. I got started in Shanghai, Shanghai, China. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at Concordia International School with um, with my my supervisor was one uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Chris Bishop at the American School of The Hague. Yeah. Um, so that's why I got my feet wet into the international school world um, and loved it. Loved loved Shanghai. I was there for four years. And my wife and I, we've relocated to Brussels, Belgium, and we both work at the International School of, of Brussels. Um, so I, this is my first year. Um, so just getting started on uh, seeing how we can uh, we, we can improve things at, at our institution and, and in the region. Okay, yeah, we don't have an athletic trainer here in the, and actually in the whole country, uh, Jared. So it's uh, it's great that you have that, that you are here to share your expertise. What are some of the not many international schools, or say some international schools have an athletic trainer and some don't. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the ways that a school can persuade their admin to start a athletic training program or have a speci specific athletic trainer in their school? Yeah. It, it is new. It's, it's, it is very much growing. Um, when I first started in China, there was only maybe six or eight athletic trainers in the region. And now it's their... Last check, I, there must be close to 50 um, in, wow. in, in the East Asia region uh, in various settings, not not all in international schools, but it is in, in the area, in the region, it's growing. Um, and um, yeah, more and more in the in the international school sector uh, as well. Um, I'm fortunate here in this area, in our conference, mm -hmm. our athletic conference, the ISSTs, um, we, we now have three athletic trainers um, out, of, out of about 13 schools. So it is growing. Um, uh, athletic training is a multi-dimensional profession, and there's a lot of different areas that we can get involved with. Um, previously in Shanghai, I was the wellness coordinator of mm. the of the faculty and staff, and as in addition to my primary hat of handling, obviously the high school sports injuries. That's yeah. that's priority number one. Um, but there are a lot of secondary duties that we can take over and get involved with and have a comprehensive uh, benefit to the school. So uh, in that setting, um, I was taking care of the faculty general health needs. I was helping them out with health promotion, nutrition, general guidance on being and being happy and healthy. And mm. more, if they're happy and healthy, they're a more effective teacher. So, right, yeah. uh, so um, that was that was kind of my secondary duty there. And here at ISB, I'm teaching. Um, okay. So I have a teaching certificate as well. A lot of athletic trainers have uh, have their master's degrees in, in education. Um, okay. Eighty percent of athletic trainers have a master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I'm teaching the BTEC Sport Program. Which is I don't know if CD if if you at being a British school if you have BTEC program no I don't believe so okay, okay. Um, so BTEC is a very specific British curriculum um, uh, it's a very practical vocational program to try to get um, students ready for the sport medical health field essentially okay um, and so we're using it as a part of our career related program in the IB okay. So I'm so I'm teaching I'm teaching and doing athletic training at at ISB. Um, so that's that's a couple examples of uh, of how uh, schools can get an athletic trainer involved. I know other schools have them working uh, in addition to their athletic training duties, strength and conditioning duties, uh, PE teaching duties, uh, health mm -hmm. and safety administrative type of work, health and safety officer. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of different areas to have a benefit to the school. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's pretty common too in international schools is just, uh, you know, you, you don't have the, the capacity to have, you know, an athletic training department with, <laughs> yeah. you know, four or five, uh, you know, ATs where, you know, yeah. you get one and then, okay, what other hats can we put on him? What roles can he fill? Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, and that's the same on the, the faculty side as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many, how many teachers or support staff like yourself, uh, uh, um, I have to do more than just one or two things. You have to do, yeah. you know, five different things on a, on a <laughs> given day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. I'm teaching chemistry, physics, uh, year seven math, PE, and doing all the AD stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and a busy podcast, CD. Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing that uh, we try to encourage is uh, is promoting like students to play multiple sports. And we don't see it as much here where, where students will just specialize in one sport. It does happen, but not as much as it did when I was coaching in the States. Um, from an athletic training point of view, is, is that uh, what kind of pros come from being a multi-sport athlete? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, that was, that's what I was really interested to learn from you guys. Um, which Are there any particular sports in, uh, that, that are the primary ones that that kids gravitate towards? Is it like a basketball? Sure. We have, we have three core sports and like just basically we have three sports. Um, and that is volleyball in the, uh, in the fall basketball in the winter and then football in the spring. Mm -hmm. And I know it's been my kind of experience that generally there's a lot of crossover between volleyball and basketball, but then the football players are just football players, um, is what it tends to be. Now, I'm not sure if that's the same for Jeff, but that's that's just kind of what I've seen. Now, there are some individuals that break that mold that are just volleyball year-round, all the time volleyball or basketball, um, but that's essentially uh, kind of what trends I've noticed anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I must say, Jared, in here for us, I think basketball is the main sport, uh, if, if you look at it. Uh, yeah. Also, the Mongolians, you know, it's a lot of wrestling, judo, boxing, like fighting-oriented sports, martial arts. Our kids, they tend a lot to, towards basketball. Uh, that's their thing. And, uh, of course, our, our, our programs are a bit smaller. Our schools are smaller, so we try to support multi-sport uh, participation. Uh, but you, you see uh, a lot of in- kids who focus on, on one sport specifically. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit about our background here. Yeah, I'd say that's that sounds about right across the board. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah the, uh, unfortunately, um, that... The, the way our sports and society is working is that there is this cultural norm, that normalized behavior of if you want to have a shot at all of being good at any one particular sport, you need to start training and specialize at that sport since the age of 8, 10, 12, whatever it may be. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, that, that, that has become normalized in, in, in a lot of ways. I think it's changing. Uh, I think it's changing for the better over the last period of time. Um, mm-hmm. But it is still an issue, especially in some of the older school mentalities. Um, and we know we know that it is not the case. Um, there are many paths to being good or reaching your goal of playing university sports, playing professional sports. There's more than just one route of living, eating, breathing soccer or f- football or volleyball or whatever it may be. Um, and actually on our end, on the injury side, we're seeing epidemic injury rates amongst those athletes that are specializing in, in sports, um, particularly in, um, uh, boys basketball. Um, you may have seen, uh, just as a, a viewer of basketball, a lots of young up and coming stars just decimated with injuries, stress fractures leading to leading to full blown fractures, uh, chronic, uh, you know, foot injury, uh, uh, fractures that aren't healing, shoulder instabilities, all sorts of uh, issues. And in, and then on the female side, generally, that's uh, girls. Girl soccer is is the key is the big one uh, as well. But it can happen in any sport. And uh, also in baseball in the U.S. is a big one. Um, the problem is, is that uh, kids are growing up playing multiple teams at the same time year round. Mm-hmm. So there's, 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 there's just no break in their season. Mm-hmm. And then year after year, I've seen it. I've seen the results on my end working in college sports, 18, 19, 20 year old kids coming in with multiple surgeries, multiple uh, significant injuries. And they've been playing baseball pitching for the last 10 years straight with no break. Wow. Um, is, is the cause of that mostly just repetitive, the same motions over and over and over and over again? Yes. Yeah. That, that is a key. That is a big uh, component of it. Um, yeah. The lack of recovery, lack, mm-hmm. lack of an off season, lack of general physical training in general. Um, and then also a part of it is that these, this age group of 12 to 18 years old, 
we, we have to remember they're still growing. They're still developing. Yeah. They're not physically mature yet. They still have open growth plates. Um, they, they, they may have underlying um, muscle imbalances or tightnesses or weaknesses, whatever it may be. And because they're just playing uh, football, 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 or volleyball, 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 there's no time or to uh, correct some of these issues. Um, so everything gets compounded basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of organizations out there, sports medicine organizations and general um, uh, sports organizations, leagues that have come out against um, um, early sports specialization and promoting multi-sport participation. And one of those is my, um, um, the National Athletic Trainers Association of the U.S. And they've come out with a lot of literature and a lot of support materials and resources for that. Um, and I'll just, I just wrote it down, the, the top six points that they, mm. that they promote to programs is uh, delay specializing as long as possible, one team at a time per season, um, organized in organized sport in one particular sport less than eight months out of the year. Um, hours of week of training uh, of whatever your year and age is. So if you're 12 years old, 12, 12 hours of training a week. If you're 16, mm. 16 hours of maximum, 16 maximum, hours. Yeah. Maximum, yeah. Okay. Maximum of training. Uh, two days off a week for rest and uh, a period of time every year of a complete rest from, from all sports. Um, not okay. necessarily all sport. They can still physically train in general play, but organized sport. Sure, sure. So, uh, and this is all based on data um, on on in looking at the injury statistics and what what we can do to you know help mitigate that. Yeah, I think I think for about probably about ninety percent of our athletes, we're okay in that sense. In that we we train three days a week. You know, maybe maybe an extra one on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and so that for the time, it's not too bad, but I would say that we have maybe a couple kids each year who are phenomenal in whatever sport, and then they're involved with a club team. Um, they often, they have games throughout the year. And I'm thinking a couple of football players that, that play and they basically play year round. They go from football in the fall to futsal in the gym in the winter, back mm -hmm. to football. Then they play football for the school team, uh, you know, in the spring as well. Um, so even though it's not a, a major issue for most of our athletes, I'd say a lot of our athletes that could potentially go on to play at the next level that are that caliber might have some of these issues, you know, just yeah, that, overtraining. That's, that's, in the international schools themselves, I think, I think a lot of them are providing, you know, an appropriate amount of, yeah. of exposure and training uh, options mm -hmm. for the kids. Um, here at ISB, um, we're probably on the upper end of, of, uh, opportunity for kids. And what I mean is like four practices a week, plus a, usually a game day. So that's still generally well within uh, yeah. the recommendations, well within that. The problem is, is that we can't always control what the kids are doing outside of our schools. Um, and so, and sometimes it's even unknown to the coaches that they're on they're Yeah. They're playing football with you during the season, but they're also playing football at club. And then they, some, I've had some kids that are even doing another sport at the same time. Like doing, doing like a club track and field at the same time. Wow! So, so yeah, uh, exactly, Jared. So for someone who's really into one sport, and we have a few of those kids, right? Like very into basketball. They might some of them they play for Mongolia. Actually, uh, you know, they play for under nineteen. What kind of activities should they do next to that? Uh, you so maybe something that you can. You know, share your ex expertise on that. What could they do? Yeah, uh, and one uh, uh, one other point to to, get to kind of bring up from from this about um, uh, sports specialization in this age group that we, we we didn't even talk about, and it's a big component that you guys I don't know if you may have seen is the psychosocial aspect as well. Um, we want kids to be happy, healthy, and have a good relationship with sports, and we see. For those that specialize, if they're lucky enough to not sustain, you know, physical injuries or a minimal amount, um, the, 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 the mental health repercussions that can occur. Um, mm. So this is, a, like I said, this is a young developing uh, age group, 
not only on the physical side, but also the social emotional side as well. So there are, there has been some links between um, uh, depression, anxiety, perfectionism, um, and then ultimately burnout from, from Mm -hmm. the sports. So um, I think it's good practice for, for all our sports organizations to try to have that healthy fitness for life type of component um, uh, to, to, to the sport aspect. So what, like, like Jeff, like Jeffrey, like you were asking is, um, having a big picture, (laughs) big picture, uh, scope when it comes to basketball, baseball, whatever sport it may be, is that this is one component of being healthy. Um, that this is, um, this is a supplementary, supplementary option to being healthy and fit. Um, so obviously general physical training, um, is, is going to be, um, a big component of, uh, like I said, some of this adolescent growing population, muscle imbalances, tightnesses, mobility issues. Um, so proper, good foundational exercise options. Uh, and working with, you know, professionals are best available, what, what's best available to the, at, to them as a resource, um, to make sure we iron out any of those mobility, core strength, whatever it may be, um, in, in the, in the fitness center. Um, and it doesn't need to be anything, uh, it doesn't need to be anything high end and specialized that we, sometimes we think, oh, I'm a baseball player. I need to do a baseball program. I need to do a football program. No, in this age group, we can be just generally focused as an all-around athlete and fitness person um, uh, in the gym by doing, you know, um, a variety of of exercises, upper extremity, lower extremity. And um, lastly, uh, is also the the, um, uh, mixing up the sports as well. So, but some people think... uh, some people think that in order to be a really good basketball player, I just need to play basketball. But no, uh, that's not that's not the case. The more variety of movements and more problem solving that we throw at kids, the better all around athlete and better performer they're going to be. Um, so I'll give you I'll give a quick example: is that I can always kind of tell which athletes are volleyball specialists. I can always tell by the way they move. Well, oh, really? Not not hundred percent effective, but pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Um, they always really lack uh, a really good first step, a first step to 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 approach the ball on a on a on a um, on a dig or uh, in a you know in a in a in a, in a rally. Um, they they always they always seem to be on their on their heels and they're not mm-hmm. really mobile, multi directionally mobile. Um, mm-hmm. so by introducing, instead of just saying play volleyball all the time from the age of 10 onwards, adding other sports to the mix, like, you know, uh, like tennis or, 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 or football, soccer, um, that allows that multi-directional movement to occur and allows that those neuromuscular connections to occur, that's going to have carryover, carryover effect on your performance on, in volleyball. And the same thing goes with upper extremity versus lower extremity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, if you're, even if you're a baseball, if you're a baseball pitcher, um, if you run track and increase your stride length, it's going to make you a better pitcher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. Carry over, I've, right? yeah. I've noticed that just even, you know, my background's wrestling and so it's not even a, a ball sport, but then how many things translate to, you know, just playing defense and being able to turn and react on basketball or yeah. uh, football, whatever it is. To uh, have that low center of gravity that mm-hmm. I can I can properly box out by placing my forearm on your center of gravity and move you out yeah. of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is very. This is two-time Olympian uh, boxing champion Lomachenko. Uh, may, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, he was the pound for pound king for years. He lost a few months ago. Uh, very unfortunate. But his dad uh, put him on ballet and uh, and wrestling when he was a kid, uh, next to his boxing training. Actually, he did boxing only two hours a week or something. He was doing doing ballet and and, and sambo wrestling, and you know, and that carried over in his footwork, his quickness, his movement. So uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it, exactly right. I mean, 
what uh what better way to teach grace and uh and <laughs> effortless movement than a sport activity like ballet or 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 a yoga or a pilates mm-hmm. or a tai chi um yeah. the the most the some of the best athletes out there are the most efficient movers yeah. um i'm thinking of like a roger federer um that the 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 least amount of effort, the be- the most bang for their buck that they can produce on the court or whatever it is, the more efficient and more better athlete they're going to be. Yeah, I heard there was a teacher. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry Jeff. There was a teacher uh, a few years ago. He was a dance teacher. And if you just saw him, he looked very frail. Um, you know, he's very long and limber. He was a great dancer, but he came in the mornings when I was lifting and he had no experience lifting. Um, and he just wanted to get stronger. And he was so strong and had such perfect, like impeccable form, um, having zero experience lifting. It was amazing because it was just, he had so much control over his body uh, and his movements that, uh, you know, it just translated into the weight room. I'll tell you from experience from well, I, I'll, I'll, my example is from when I was working as a wellness coordinator at, at Shanghai and I was working with just a, a faculty staff person. By far, the ones that could pick up movements the quickest were dancers hmm. uh, they that that had experience in, in any sort of dance uh, samba or zumba zumba's zumba's were excellent um they uh and, and another one is um uh gymnasts as well that they they're very what we would say in athletic training is very kinesthetically aware they have very good proprioception very good body awareness uh, awareness they know, they understand their body's positioning and they can see a movement and replicate a movement very, very quickly. Jared, so this is a question for me. Is very interesting is that we don't hear much because so many good athletes have played multiple sports. Uh, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, LeBron James, they all play multiple sports. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, uh, Tom Brady. And a few months ago, you saw Nikola Jokic, which was an amazing example from the Denver Nuggets, throwing a ball all over the court. And they said, well, he played water polo when he was a kid. Why don't we hear more? Why are our, our, are our kids so focused on playing one sport? What is that? Mm. Yeah, unfo- unfortunately, I think it's still the, um, the lack of education, the lack of um, awareness on that. Um, like I said, it, it's changing especially with like the Patrick Mahomeses and um, what a perfect example of the ability to go from baseball to American football. And you can see it in his arms, his arm slot angles. He can throw from any angle. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's an example of the carryover from a sport, like playing like a second base or a shortstop that you have to throw from multi angles, as opposed to a prototypical quarterback in the American football. Mm -hmm. That it's just the same motion every time. It's a more dynamic element to the game. Um, <clears throat> so why um, I think inherent to some sports, it's it's uh, it's ingrained in the culture of the sport, um, like like football, um, uh, soccer. Um, you know those, for example. Unfortunately, in the professional realm, um, you know Barcelona is signing kids at the age of 10 or 12 years old into their developmental program. Um, so that unfortunately puts it in the kid's head at a young age that this is the route I need to go to get to where, where I want to be. And honestly, on, on, unfortunately on the negative side of some sports um, is that there are, there are obviously that we need to talk about, or sometimes there's conflict of interests um, by the coach or by the, um, or by the, um, the sports organization that's, you know, pulling these kids, the club team that's trying mm-hmm. to pull these kids in, there is a financial aspect to sports. And I'm not, that's not to say that's, that's a, a, a rampant thing. There are many great, a majority of coaches have nothing but good intent for, um, for, uh, for the kids' interests. However, there is a financial aspect there we need to, uh, for some of these clubs, these, um, spring leagues, these, uh, tournaments, uh, they, they need to have kids there to compete and pay the entrance fees or to pay the membership fees. 
And so um, I think I think sometimes that sort of conflict of interest can play a role as well. Um, mm -hmm. But um, the best we can do to fully inform that's why that's why education based athletics is so important is that essentially just a neutral party that just wants kids to be uh, plug in sports as a part of their gen their overview of academics and education and life. I mean, yeah. your name, your name says it athletics for life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, so having that fully informed educational piece and knowledge up front, I think is the only thing that's fair to these kids. Mm. Um, and so for example, um, if, if you have kids that are trying to play basketball in, in the U S and get a college scholarship, um, only of all high school athletes in the, in, in the U S only three to 4% go on to play college sports roughly. And only 1% end up earning a college scholarship. So I think by fully informing kids up front on, okay, this may be where you want to go, but just to be fully aware, these are the chances to get there. Um, and letting them make the option, uh, take, take the choice. Um, and, have it, trying to educate them on the balance between the sports, the physical activity, the, the, the sleeping, the eating, the schoolwork. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so an example that I sometimes give is that, yeah, it may have worked out for the Lionel Messi's and, and the Cristiano Ronaldo's that, but how many tried to go that path and didn't make it? Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably the, 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 the Messi's and the Ronaldo's they're probably one in a million, essentially. So do you want to have this path of possible physical and mental strain and, and, and uh, possible detriment towards that? Um, but, but like I said before, there's multiple paths to yeah. that. Um, so full, also fully informing about those multiple paths that you don't need to do eat, breathe, live football you know, for the next 10 years. There's other ways to get there. And there's other examples of people getting there. Unfortunately, the Messi's and the and the, and the Ronaldo's just get the most spotlight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had uh, a few athletes that just keep popping into my mind throughout our conversation. You know, you mentioned a while back uh, just about they get kind of down. They're they're kind of um, you know struggle with mental issues, burnout. Um, you know, we had a phenomenal football player, and he played for the national team. He was he was a superstar. He was you know, just amazing football player. And then he started playing basketball, which kind of goes back also to your point about his conflict of interest. Uh, his coaches didn't want him playing basketball because what if he got hurt doing something that's just kind of for fun? You know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's a school team. Yeah. We're going to try to win. We want to be competitive, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just for fun to be, to hang out with your friends and be a part of the school program. And uh, you know, at first he, he struggled. He was good. He was a great athlete, but not a great, not a great basketball player. And then as he progressed to year 11, year 12, he, he was phenomenal. Just, you know, that athleticism really shines on the basketball court. And he talked to me about how, how much he just really enjoyed basketball. And in that process, you know, he did get injured playing football um, and came back and was able to play basketball for us, but he kind of lost his passion for, for football. Just, He'd been doing it for so long. He didn't know why he was doing it anymore. And he yeah. kind of opened his eyes that, you know, there, there's more to sport than just football. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so it, it kind of highlighted a bunch of things that you'd been just talking about. All in yeah, one it's example. the same thing on the academic side. Like <clears throat> if a kid's interested in chemistry, they may take a lot of chemistry, but they're also taking other subjects. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and by the variety of subjects, <clears throat> It, it, it opens up those, those paths of this is for me or even this is not for me. And finding that out at a young age is, is, is uh, extremely important that finding out the path that um, is for you is just as important as finding out the path that's not for you. So like in your example, once they were exposed to another aspect of physical activity and sport, it kind of questions their, their, their mm -hmm. initial thought. So the more we can do in education and going on to university and being a student athlete, the more we can find out, guide these, 
guide student athletes towards uh, what's for me, what's not for me. You know, that's that's kind of the goal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Jared, so uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, we had a uh, the COVID pandemic has been pretty tough here in Mongolia. We uh, mm-hmm. over two years we lost uh, three seasons. Uh, so we've been locked uh, since November now. Uh, so we lost the basketball the mid season and now the spring season. Uh, we are not sure if it's going to open up very soon. What can our students do now, uh, and what should we do as coaches and athletic directors to get back into? practice next year when we start what should we take in take into consideration what can do what can the kids do right now to get back into uh, practice next year yeah um it's it's gonna be a long road uh it's still we're still on that long road right Uh, there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel but uh we're just starting to see that light but um So um, one thing that I want to uh, bring up is uh, in this in this aspect is that there's a lot of unknowns with COVID-19 um, long-term possible health implications. I'm, I'm talking about uh, post-infection um, and we're seeing it in athletics. Um, there has have been long-term health conditions that have arisen from post-COVID infection, one of those being a cardiac issue called myocarditis, uh, which is an inflammation of the tissue surrounding the heart. Um, and obviously, since it is a resp- it's mainly a respiratory issue, obviously, respiratory issues following uh, infection. So, um, and we're seeing it in, in athletics, is um, the, the problem with myocarditis is that it can cause emergency conditions like a full-blown cardiac arrest. Oh. Um, so what we need to do in the sports um, as the sports safety world is making sure that kids are okay to participate um, first, to be honest. Um, and I know it's a bit of a contentious area, especially in the international school industry of uh, pre-participation physicals. Uh, it depends on the jurisdiction that we're in, whether we're in Mongolia or Belgium or in the U.S., mm-hmm. what the rules are regarding that. And also what your institutional policies are regarding that. But I feel and all the um, major organizations out there like the NFHS, um, like the American Academy of Pediatrics, a bunch of other sports medicine groups out there are recommending pre-participation physicals for all student athletes. Mm. Um, So regardless of what the policy is in everyone's jurisdiction, everyone this year in this upcoming sports season should see their doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the recommendations. So I think as, and that's something that we're navigating at ISB is how do we, how do we do this? And that's, that's a big part of your athletic director jobs is to get buy-in and to get consensus and to get support on any initiative you want to do. And so um, we're, we're looking into uh, the logistics of, strongly recommending, encouraging student athletes to see their doctor, um, to make sure that um, it should be a regular thing to begin with. It should be a semi-annual or annual thing to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like I said, these are kids that are developing physically and allergies can develop, medical conditions can develop. Uh, 1% of the population of the, uh, of the uh, people of general population have an unknown undiagnosed heart condition that they're not even aware of. So um, this kind of just amplifies that need or that, 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 um, that, um, that urgency to <laughs> that kids should be seeing their doctors fairly regularly to prevent a cardiac arrest or other condition from developing. Um, so that's kind of at the forefront, even if it, even if there wasn't a diagnosed positive test, we do know that asymptomatic infection occurs. Mm-hmm. So people could have been infected and not even been aware of it. And then mm-hmm. now they may have this underlying condition going on. So um, I think any sort of gravitation towards that would definitely be a positive for the safety aspect for, for the institution and for the kids themselves. Um, so that's one. <laughs> See your doctor before you start sports um, uh, <clears throat> would be a, a good rec- recommendation. The The next thing would be have a very long-term view as getting back into sports and at physical activity conceptually. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, these are kids by the time they get back to the fall season or their winter season, their spring season, they may have been out from sports for almost two years by the, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So it is going to take at least that amount of time to get back to where they were um, beforehand. So it's not going to be, oh, we're back on the, the soccer pitch. We're back on the basketball court. We're going to do things as we always did it. Um, one of the things that my, um, the athletic director here at ISB, uh, when we got uh, Lee Rosky is, uh, is my supervisor, um, one thing that we agreed on and the, he communicated to our coaches when we did get sports going in the fall for a little while was, you know, kind of throw out your, your playbook. <laughs> the way things you've done it historically, um, throw it out the window. And we need to keep kids on the court in any way that we can. Um, so that comes down to practice planning and uh, the way you run a practice and the way you conduct drills and what your selection is. Um, we need to make sure that we have a very slow, progressive return to uh, intensity and quantity and volume. Um, so in our short seasons, I, I assume you, uh, uh, we, have, we have very short seasons in the international yeah. school world only eight to 12 weeks or so somewhere mm-hmm. on there. Yep. So in, in the event we do get to competitive seasons in the fall and the winter need to have very good understanding that the kids are n- not going to get to where they typically get to in any particular season and needing to be okay with that. And the, the goal is get kids on the court, get them phys- physically active and moving, keep try to keep them injury free and, and just focusing on the fundamentals of the sport. Um, you know, basic, go, go back to basics. You may have a varsity team now, but maybe you should be treating them as a middle school or JV team as far as your action of activities is concerned. Um, so educating the coaches on this as well is a big component that some of them may want to just go, 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 because maybe that's what the kids want. Maybe that's what the parents want, but we need to be the intermediary to make things, uh, logical, Um, Mm -hmm. So incorporating general play, uh, multi, multi-directional movement, focusing on endurance, uh, corrective exercises, um, it would be a key thing to implement. And what I mean by corrective exercises is um, we get, need to keep in mind, a lot of these kids have been on, on Zoom for four or five hours a day, every day for the last year. Yeah. Um, so uh, postural issues, core strength, hip mobility, um, hamstring mobility, you know, all sorts of basics that need to get addressed. If we don't address them, there's no way they're going to be able to handle gassers and suicide sprints for no. a period of time. They're going to break down. They're going to break down yeah. after two, three practices. So, um, uh, yeah. So b- back to basics. <laughs> Definitely. I want to swing back to the, uh, kind of pre-participatory physical, cause that's something that, uh, we've been talking about here. Um, is that something that you that you do uh, on a school basis? Just like, okay, we're just going to focus on our school or like at a conference level. Um, and then when you do that, I, I imagine it, it'll definitely depend on, you know, jurisdiction and stuff. Um, but like here we have, we have school doctors. So we do have a doctor on staff. So well, as far as like ease of the ease of implementing something like that, um, it, it does become, you know, a little bit easier to just say, okay, you know, you can see your doctor. So I'm just curious, uh, kind of, I know you said you were still kind of figuring out the logistics and stuff, but uh, kind of what have you seen or what have you done in the past uh, with, as far as those exams go? Yeah. um, It's um, the model in the U in, uh, you know, as a U.S. athletic trainer, that's kind of my background and my, my upbringing, my, my my experience. So I always kind of view through that lens. Um, It's very normal to, um, uh, have an on-site person to do that. You bring in a couple doctors and they just handle everyone's physicals um, right then and there over the course of a day or t- like, a, like a weekend or something like that. That's very common. Um, any approach to pre-participation physicals, um, it's going to have to be an institutional decision. Um, so it's going to be very difficult to do something at a conference level mm-hmm. um, where you have multiple countries, multiple institutions. Yeah. They have different legalities to navigate. It's going to be very difficult to do. It would be great to do. 
But what here in uh, in Belgium in the ISSTs, you know what what the way Frankfurt the rules that Frankfurt Germany has to cover versus the Hague in the Netherlands, you know, are going to be apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. what we can do from a conference level is encourage all institutions to navigate what's best for that institution. So yeah. we can't do something. We we probably can't do a blanket thing across the conference, but we can do is encourage and mandate that from a conference level, it's each institution looks at what's best for their institution. Sure. Um, there are additional hurdles to overcome, especially here in Europe. Um, there's a lot of regulation around this and um, uh, including like GDPR um, mm-hmm. privacy concerns. So, that's something that I'm looking at now. <laughs> I, uh, I look forward to telling you what, how it works out. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but but what, what we're looking towards is encouraging and recommending our, our student athletes and families and our communities to see their family doctor. And mm-hmm. we are looking into providing a sample form of things for the doctor to review with the patient. Um, well, so for example, there's a lot of good resources out this. Um, the one I took from was the American Academy of Pediatrics. They have a very standardized three page form, uh, and, and at the end, the doctor signs off on the clearance. Okay. Uh, okay. that's something that we're looking at right now. And then we have other barriers to overcome like the language issue as well. Yeah. Um, yep, same. So the, the documents I'm looking at are English being from North America. However, in Belgium, we're, we're French, German, and Dutch speaking population. And, but we have populations from all over the world, from the Middle East, from South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another complication <laughs> to look at. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, and another method is simply by just, so I was talking about having a standardized form. A lot of clinics, a lot of doctors will have their own standardized form that they, this is how I do a physical. Mm-hmm. If they, th- as long as they get seen by their doctor and reviewed about a various complications, including uh, taking a look and listen at the heart, you know, I'd be happy with that. Sure. Um, so it's going to, it's going to depend and it's going to vary widely for those, some of those institutions that have those onsite doctors, um, that is awesome. And I would definitely, work with your health office staff uh, to talk about this and to any institution that's in that fortunate position to see in their opinion, what does that look like? Um, mm-hmm. Have all our student athletes see you, our, our doctor, is that something that's possible? Do we mandate it? Do we recommend it? Um, that's, those are conversations with each institution's uh, administrative administration mm-hmm. and leadership teams. For sure. sure. Jared, we're uh... We can talk for hours, <laughs> so we should definitely do a follow-up uh, on this one. Yeah, uh, let's see how these rollouts go. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> so for any of the, uh, so we're gonna just we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up soon. Uh, we don't want to waste too much of your time on your Sunday early Sunday morning. Uh, what if some of our student athletes, uh, maybe all over the world, and especially here in Mongolia, uh, they're looking forward to the new season, to the new academic year. Uh, they're still home. Um, what are some of the basic things that you would uh, suggest for them to do? Uh, Is it kettlebell, stretching, yoga? What kind of activities would you tell them to do in order to be prepared? On on my end, the the injury side, the sport-related injury, in this age group, I think the first thing they need to be doing is working on mobility, Mm -hmm. Um, improving their range of motion, get that first. We have kids that have been sitting at a desk four or five hours a day for the last year Hamstring tightness, hip tightness, uh, forward neck, rounded shoulders. I think that's good. I think that's honestly going to be very. Yeah, everyone back. I should sit up. I think. I think it's. I think small things like that that late yeah. lead to bigger issues are going to mm-hmm. be pervasive. I think. Um, so um, mobility work, I think, would be. Uh, you know, every something is going to be better than nothing. Um, so any sort of mobility work in whatever mode is best for this, the, the student athlete. So what I mean by that is I'm a big proponent of foam rolling, uh, foam rolling and different myofascial release techniques, um, the, the massage sticks, all that sort of stuff. 
if it's best for them to learn at home how to use that equipment, acquire that equipment and use that, then absolutely go for it. That's going to be amazing. And in all our programs, that's something that may be worthwhile to consider as well is, you know, having those sorts. There we go. Right there. There we go. Well done, CD. Mine's, mine's within reach. Perfect. <laughs> so. Perfect. So after this, you can hop on your hips. Right. There's after. some, there's yeah. some dust on it, CD. You get the. <laughs> so I think, I think the mobility is going to be key. Okay. Um, um, uh, and, but that doesn't necessarily need to come from just from rolling, just from myofascial release. Um, there are many, uh, you, you mentioned yoga, yoga, a great way to work on mobility. Meanwhile, also working on core strength, some of those corrective exercises, those postural, um, aspects as well. Um, it's going to be whatever the kids, kids have available to them at home. Um, but everything should run through kind of someone to be a neutral party involved. So mm. what I mean is that some kids are very fortunate. They may have like a home gym operation yeah. going on. They may have a whole setup in their garage. Um, so for example, a kid returning to possible football or soccer, you don't want them doing box jumps all day, every day. So there should be some sort of buffer. And so our institutions could, you know, whether it be their primary sport coach, their PE teacher, they, whoever, um, whoever, whoever it could be, just someone to filter out the nonsense would be really helpful. As we know, there's plenty of that around and, and our kids uh, tend to pick up home workouts on TikTok and stuff like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So someone to be the voice of reason for the kids mm. um, uh, would be very helpful. Um, yeah. And, uh, and something's going to be better than nothing. It just depends on what the kid is. Um, I, I think everyone should be, everyone should have some basic tools of foam rolling and, and myofascial release stuff at home. Yeah. I've even just used the, uh, the old rolling pin too. Yeah. 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 You know, so what, same, same difference. Back, yeah. Yeah. Um, back in the, my first, uh, when I was a student that before foam rolling was even really foam rolling, we just had a PVC pipe wrapped with a little bit of softening kind of foam gel thing. And that's, that's what we used before, <laughs> before foam rolling was even a thing. Yeah. Or even just this hot cricket ball, you know, sit on for yeah, a while. Uh, and you <laughs> Yeah. Softball, lacrosse ball. Um, oh. Yeah. The ro rolling pin. That is, maybe just clean it before mom. mom or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this has been a, this has been a great in, uh, interview. Great talk. And like Jeff said, we could, we could go on for hours. I think yeah. um, kind of any last tips for, uh, for either athletes or ADs, anything that maybe you wanted to mention, but you haven't got a chance to. Mm. Um, um, I think, I think, I think the, if, on the positive side of things, uh, on the silver lining of, you know, co uh, current COVID, COVID circumstances, I think now is a good opportunity for a reset for a, um, anything that's been on the athletic director's dream list the down the road lists, the ultimate, you know, we would like to do this, but there's never enough time. I think, I think there's a real opportunity for that. Um, that if you really want to promote, you know, you know, possibly taking a little bit of practice time to devote to some of this more physical preparation and training aspect, these generalized strength and conditioning aspect, I think now would be a great time is that, Hey coaches, we're going to gravitate towards this a little bit more. Or um, our kids, our student athletes, we want to be more, uh, we want to have this more focus, whatever it may be, or I'm, I'm speaking specifically on this physical training yeah, side, yeah. but any sort of program you want to implement. Um, if you've always dreamt of implementing FMS, functional movement screenings, maybe now's a really good time to invest in, in a couple pieces of equipment to look at that some sort of thing. Um, whether it's be in, in, in even off the ball things like, um, uh, more education as far as how do you become a student athlete in university or what does progressing towards professional sports look like uh, from someone in your institute, um, I'm sorry, international student athlete perspective. So I think it's a good opportunity to what we've always kind of dreamt about <laughs> that it would be nice to do. You know, let's see if we can do some of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah thank you so much, Jared. That's some amazing tips and 
I want to invite you again in 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 a, in a few months to talk a bit more about the coaching side of it and how to set up a good practice. So that might be great for our coaches uh, by the by the time we are going to start again. So uh, we'd like to have you back on in a, in a, in a few months' time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for your work on this. Any avenue I can I can be assistance to on the sports safety side in the international school world. Always happy to help out. Thank you yeah, so much. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Thanks so much, Jared, for being here today. Have a, have a great day in Mongolia, guys. Have a yeah, good day in Belgium. <laughs> See you, Jared. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. And that was our interview with Jared, uh, athletic trainer. Uh, a lot to break down. Uh, a lot yeah. of great, great yeah. tips in uh, in the interview. Uh, a few things that stuck out to me were just kind of how much stuff we do do, but then there was a lot of little areas where we can just get better, right? Yeah. Like we do promote multi-sports. Um, we don't practice a ton. Um, like I feel like we do a lot of things good without having an athletic trainer. Yeah. Uh, but sitting down and being able to talk to one helps us identify ways that we can improve. You know, we're, we're looking at having a pre-participation physical um, for our schools and potentially our conference and, you know, just hearing that as one of the first things that we should do uh, to come back, just to make sure that kids are healthy, kids are safe. Yeah. And, you know, any athletes that are maybe seeing this or listening to this, you know, it's not a bad idea to just get a checkup, make sure everything's fine, make sure that, you know, you are safe when you're competing. Um, ultimately, that's got to be, you know, a top priority for any athletic director, any coach is just, okay, are the kids safe? Now we can move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we need to... Take, take more time to do that, right? It's always rushed these years, you know, you go from season to season and you want to start the year as fast as you can as, 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 as the AD, you want to get the kids moving, playing, uh, but just do a step back. I think that's something that we're going to in- implement. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to Jared, such a, such a man with experience. Uh, you can learn a lot from him. All the student athletes watching, you know, he, he shared some great tips um, with this past podcast we talk about educational based athletics life skills you've heard a few times the word carryover uh, in a few other podcasts jared mentioned it you know different sports have different carryovers Um, so playing other sports if you're a basketball player playing other sports will only make you better doing other things in your life will only make you a better person so don't focus on one thing it doesn't bring you to the top you have to do other things too to become a better athlete and a better person. And um, yeah, for those starting next year, you know, he gave some very valuable tips on how to get back, um, you know, stretching, general strength training, and uh, yeah, some great tips. So I really want to thank Jared for his time today uh, to share his story, to share his expertise with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of mirrored uh, what a coach of mine in high school would say. He was my wrestling coach. And you would always say, like, uh, whether you're a football player or a track runner or baseball or whatever sport you're in, like, work to be the best baseball player you can be so you're a better mm-hmm. wrestler, right? Yeah. Be the best football player you can be to be a better wrestler. Like, if that's your main, whatever your main sport is, do the best you can in those other sports to become better at your main sport. And I don't think for, you know, I don't think his focus was on injury prevention and, um, you know, range of motion, that sort of stuff. I think it was just building the mentality. Yeah. Uh, of just always giving your best and being the best at what I'm doing, even if it's not my main thing. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things that can be taken away from, from trying different things, being involved in different things. And, you know, after talking with Jared, it's, it's really helpful for those kids, especially at the high end level that are phenomenal athletes, maybe looking to go to college or university and play sports. Uh, yeah. maybe do a sport that's not your main sport to give your body a break, to see the game in a different way, to develop a few skills that you don't have. Um, it can be very ben- beneficial for, uh, for some of our athletes. Yeah, definitely. And, and I wish we had this information when we were a bit younger, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the diet, just the stretching, you know, the physical preparedness that's so, so important, especially after the COVID pandemic. Um, so again, we want to thank Jared for being here today with us to share his expertise. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Um, give your reactions in the comments. See what you think about our uh, podcast. How can we improve our podcast? And we hope to see you next time. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.